Oh, and this time we gotta not whisper. No matter what, don't whisper because it could turn into something funny that then we're like whispering and then laughing very hard. Okay. Hi there! It's me, Izzy. And me, Eleanor. Welcome back to the show. This is our show. This is the show where we talk about musicals, which we love to do. We love we love talking about we it. We love to talk about it. Um, I hope you enjoy the last episode if you listened to it. I know that not many of you did so far. It's interesting. Um, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, today we're talking about my favorite show, Spring Awakening. Because at the time that this episode comes out, my birthday is tomorrow. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm turning 20 years 20 old. 20 whole years Frightening. old. Frightening. Terrifying. Anyway, I also wanted to say at the top of the episode here that... The show we're talking about, Spring Awakening, deals with some pretty heavy themes, so I wanted to give a quick trigger warning. It's very, I mean, it's vague coming from me, but Eleanor is going to mention some of those topics in her summary here. Yes. Okay, Spring Awakening follows teens in Germany in the late 1800s. These teens are growing through puberty and young adulthood with no guidance. It handles topics such as censorship, Sexual and physical abuse, suicide, rape, abortion, homosexuality, and religion. So if any of those topics are upsetting to you, don't feel pressured to listen at all. And I won't bully you at the start of the next episode if we have less listens on this one. So yes, don't worry about it. If you so, gotta go, you gotta go. We understand. On to the history. I'm gonna start a quick history. So the musical is based on a play that was written in 1890 to 1891 in that winter. Did you look up how to pronounce his name? No. And it was written by Frank Vedekind? I don't know how to pronounce his name. We're going to say Vedekind. Vedekind. If that's not right, wrong. then feel free to bully me, I guess. But at least then I'll know how to pronounce it. Um, but even though it was written in 1891... It was not performed until 1906 because no one would put it on because of the topics it focused on. And then in 2006, there was a Broadway production of it put on. Not the play. (laughs) Sorry. It was adapted into a musical, which was put on Broadway in 2006. It starred Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff of Glee fame. And then that musical was revived in 2015, I believe, by Deaf West Theatre Company and was put on Broadway. It starred Ali Stroger of Oklahoma fame this year in 2019, Alex Boniello of Dear Evan Hansen fame, Marley Matlin. I don't know what she's famous from specifically, but she is famous, and she was in it. And Alex Weiss, who was recently in Waitress and has his own web series called Indoor Boys with Wesley Taylor. Very good. Check it out. Check it out. And Deaf West Theater Company is basically a theater company that wants to make theater accessible for deaf and hard of hearing people. So that was the revival on Broadway in 2015. We'll I talk-, talk about Deaf West Spring Awakening later. Yeah, that, I talked about them a lot longer than the Broadway production because I'm a Deaf West stan. And then in 2018, there was a TV show called Rise, which followed a school putting on a production of Spring Awakening. Not... Well, I think it's based on a real school, but it was a fictionalized yes. show. There was a school that put it on without any um, censorship, 
And I think it's based on that. I think so, too. Ali'i Cravalo was in it. Yes. And... Sean Grandillo. Sean Grandillo from Death West production. On to the OBC. Let's talk about that original Broadway cast. production. We're going to talk about the <laughs> whole thing, not just the cast. But they did have a killer cast with Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff, who were both in Glee. John Gallagher Jr., who awesome. I love. Lily John- Cooper from Spongebob. Jonathan and- Groff was also in Hamilton. That's a big thing people know him from. Mm, I think people mostly know him from Glee, but <laughs> if you, I mean... Hamilton's kind of He's a fringe also... thing. I don't know if you <laughs> even know it. <laughs> he was in Hamilton. Yeah. And I also wrote down Lauren Pritchard, who I believe, didn't she do a song with Brendan Urie? That's why I put her on this list. I think it's true. Miss Jackson? I'm going to fact check real quick. All right. I think it's true. Lolo. Yeah. Hmm. Under the name Lolo. So you can fact check me all you want, but I'm always right. (laughs) I love the original Broadway production because they gave Moritz the messy hair he deserves. Yeah? Yeah. I love the Deaf West production as well, but... And Voice of Moritz had vaguely messy hair, but Moritz did not have messy hair at all, which was a real bummer for me. Because... Um, the voices in Deaf West Spring Awakening are, because they feature deaf char- or deaf actors, there will also be a hearing actor to sing the parts. It's two people in one role. And for the voices, they generally made them modern day. And Moritz's modern day version was, like, a punk, so he had a little bit of messy hair. But I will say, in the original production, Moritz didn't have messy hair because he was a punk. He had messy hair because he was a mess, and didn't get enough sleep, and had bedhead all the time. So Moritz should have had messy hair, is what I'm saying. I'd like to say that, first off, I think that the original writer of the play, Frank Vedekind, would be very proud that the, it was turned into a musical. A rock musical, A rock musical. I think he would really love um, the new medium it's taken on, because... I- What I've read of him, which isn't a ton, it seems like something he would be really into, which is a really cool thing to think about. I don't think he would love how they made it, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Ambiguous? Ambiguous. Because it's no good. Yeah, specifically Melchior. And this is not the original Broadway cast's fault in relation to like, later productions, because, you know, everyone did it, but the people who adapted this musical from the play made Melchior much more ambiguous than he was in the play. Speaking of which, can I go grab my book? I feel like I might need it. Yeah, I want to look at it. All my bookmarks are done with wrapping paper. Festive. Yeah. All right. In the play, it is very clearly a rape scene. Yeah. In the musical, it is a rape scene, but it is up to interpretation. Yes. And that's bad. (laughs) Yeah. Because in the play, it was very clear. Because all of... Once it kind of starts, all of Venla's lines were things like, Melchior, no, and like, don't Melchior, and like, don't kiss me, Melchior, things like that. 
And that was pretty much exclusively what her lines were. And then they kind of took it and made it ambiguous, which is pretty terrible. That's why, as Eleanor, I think, was going to mention, direction is very important in this show. Because it's up to the director to make that choice and not make it ambiguous. Yeah, there are things you can do in choreographing the scene and overall direction that would change the feel of that scene so completely. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting because the show itself, the tone can switch very easily based on direction. Which is, later I'm going to talk about Michael Arden who directed Death West Spring Awakening and he did a wonderful job. Though I'd like to say with the OBC and more on it being adapted into a musical, the music in it is wonderful. The music is amazing. We made a mistake. Right. We didn't mention our favorite characters or favorite songs. Can we do that now? Is it too late? So, do you want to say our favorite characters and favorite songs? Okay, sure. (laughs) You can start. My favorite character is Moritz. Who's your favorite character? I don't really know. (laughs) I would say my favorite character might be Ilsa. Or... Mm -hmm. That's a good one. I do love Moritz a lot. Or, um... I have rights. I like Venma <laughs> yeah. a lot. I don't know. I like the girls. I like Marta a lot, too. Yeah. I agree. All the girls are really good. Mm-hmm. My first favorite character is Hanshin, but now it's Moritz. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite songs? I think it'd be easier to name the songs I don't like, which are Word of Your Body and Word of Your Body Reprise. Those are the only songs I don't care for. Other than that, every single song is bopping. I love it. <laughs> My favorite song is Song of Purple Summer. That's a good and one. And then I like um, The Dark I Know Well and My Junk, Mama Who Bore Me Reprise. Those ones. Mm-hmm. Those are good. All right. Now we will go back to our regularly scheduled programming. Okay, something I'd like to talk about is the OBC's Tony's performance. <gasps> <laughs> The original Broadway cast's Tony performance was very interesting because obviously they're on live television, so they need to be censored because the songs they were going to sing were um, Mama Who Bore Me, which wasn't Mm -hmm. censored, but... Mama Who Bore Me Reprise, Bitch of Living, and Totally Fucked. And, like, they can't sing Totally Fucked on live television. So... What they did, which a lot of productions which have to censor Spring Awakening, um, they replace it, like, totally... Totally stuck is a common one, I think. Totally stuck, or different words in the place of fucked. But it's really interesting, because in the Tony's performance, they just didn't say anything. Yeah. Over the word fucked. It would just and be they like, covered their mouths. Yeah, you're all right. Just, like, leave it blank and cover their mouths. Which is interesting and good because the show is about censorship, so it draws that attention to it. Yeah, because... You know as the viewer that they're being censored. Censoring a show about censorship, unironically, <laughs> yeah. is not a very good take. It's a right. very cold take. <laughs> but um, censoring it, sort of like using the irony of censoring a show about censorship was a really unique and cool way to do it. Definitely. Also... They did a medley, and only cowards don't do medleys at the Tonys. Every show should do a medley. We're looking at you, Spongebob. (laughs) I'm looking at Spongebob. Not only did they not do a medley, but they did a solo. Also, Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. I'm looking at you guys. Sadly, I'm looking at you, Fun Home. 
<laughs> Sorry. Anyway, there are Rule more, number but one, we're going to stop. <laughs> don't do a solo at the Tonys. Rule number two, if you're not a coward, do a medley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I didn't like is that they gave part of Moritz's solo to Melchior. In Bad. the Tony's performance. In the Tony's performance, yeah. Bad take. Did they censor bitch? No. Just fuck. <laughs> <laughs> they did censor some of them. They did change some of the words. Though. They changed some of the words in Bitch of Living, but not the bitch word. <laughs> Is there more for original Broadway cast? Wait. Yes. I'd also like to talk about the original Broadway cast staging in Don't Do Sadness, Blue Wind. Hmm. Because I think it's really interesting. During the whole um, scene, mostly, they don't look at each other. They look strictly at the audience while they're talking to each other and having a conversation. Even, like, there isn't much difference between them singing their own personal thoughts, which makes sense to be to the audience, and them talking to each other, which is still towards the audience, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. I don't know exactly what they mean by it, but I think it's interesting, and I want to think about it more. Yeah, I, I still need to think about it. I'm not here with a, like, this is what that means. This is what they're saying. I just think it's an interesting concept. And yeah. it's one of the many layers in Spring Awakening. Spring Awakening is something, like, we could talk about it all day. <laughs> this could be a 24-hour podcast. <laughs> just 24 hours, <laughs> seven days a week. Just because it's... There's so much to read into. So much things that, like have double meeting, meanings and layers, and that's what I think makes a good show, is it's it can be put under a microscope. Definitely. It's time to talk about Deaf West Spring Awakening. Deaf West Spring Awakening. I love it. Once again, they came back with a killer cast. The original production had a killer cast, and this one does as well. They're not necessarily maybe as famous, but mm-hmm. since like keeping up with this show... I am in love with the cast. And they are, Alex Boniello is now in Dear Evan Hansen, although he's leaving in January, which is sad. Ali Stroker is in Oklahoma. Alex Weiss was recently in Waitress, like last year, I believe. Mm -hmm. And he has a popular web series. Did we already say this? We did. It's fine. Andy Miantis has been on TV he was recently in Dolly Parton's Netflix show. Well, Sandra May Frank was in the Netflix series Daybreak, and I think she's in something else. She's currently in a Deaf West production of Next to Normal, which it's is not really, Deaf West. It's not Deaf West, but it's a okay. similar concept, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Catherine Gallagher is in Jagged Little Pill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Krista Rodriguez. Was also in Daybreak. Yeah, and she was recently in um, Hercules. Yeah. She was recently in Hercules, the theater production. Yeah. And we'll probably, um, after this episode, in many musicals, we have tied them to the cast of Deaf West Spring Waking. <laughs> we That's talk true. about them often. That's true. They're some of our favorite Broadway people. Yeah, we really keep up with them, so they'll be a frequent topic. <laughs> Definitely. I really like Deaf West Theater Company because 
all of the shows are completely bilingual, which is pretty amazing. There's not another show that I know of that does that. Because, like, there can be um, bilingual shows that have, like, Spanglish, and they go in and out of right. speaking shows. Like, other shows can include other languages, which they do, which is always cool, but these shows are completely in American Sign Language and English, which is pretty amazing. Like, every word is in two whole languages at the same time, which is so crazy. Definitely. Um, also, other than, like, the language layer, um, there's other layers to the characters. Like, having two actors playing one character can add layers, um, in costuming. Like, as yeah. you can see in Moritz, um, his, his voice, which is supposed to be, like, more of, in his head, his representation of himself, mm-hmm. is, like, punk. Which is really interesting, and also you can add layers in choreography. Yeah. There's also, like, the levels of connection between the character and their voice can say something about characters, because Marta is never with her voice on stage, um, and... Melita and Taya are always together on stage. Melita is Taya's voice. And um, one thing I'd like to touch on is a scene before Venma's abortion where um, her voice leaves her, um, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Because that's something you can't really portray well in regular theater. But it's a whole inside-her-head thing, and we get, like, to see it inside so many characters' inner thoughts, and it's really interesting. Yeah. It really makes the most out of the, like, two hours that they have on stage. It does. Because it's like it's telling two stories at once. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I love this show. Also, with sign language being, um... A visual language. The choreography is um, so interesting to watch. I encourage you to watch a video of them performing because there are several. I'll link to one. There are several that aren't even bootlegs. Like, they've performed the places. Mm -hmm. And it's so fascinating how the ASL just fits into the choreography and they've made them together into one. Some things that I do think do that really interesting are Mirror Blue Night and Touch Me. Yeah. <laughs> Touch Me, I think you should link to the video of I Touch will. Me being performed. I'll link to several videos. Yeah. Because it's... The way it fits into the choreography, It it's nonstop and it's so well done. Because everything has to be well choreographed. So, it's, I don't know who the choreographer for Deaf West Spring Awakening is, but whoever you are, I love you. Also, I'd like to, I mentioned him earlier, Michael Arden is a saint. Yes. I love that man. Me too. I trust him with my life when it comes to revivals. If I hear Michael Arden is reviving something, it's going to be good. He just won um, Best Revival for Once on This Island. Yeah. That is an amazing revival. I encourage so you to look into it. It was fantastic. It had Haley Kilgore, Maybe I'll Isaac to Powell, Tony performance or something. Um, Al- Alex Newell, Leah um, Salonga. Uh, yeah, and it was Merle Dandridge. It was fantastic. 
look into it. <laughs> Check it out. All right. We also saw a production of Spring Awakening once, which was the best time of my life because I just love that show so much. I was freaking out. But we saw it. Um, it was the two of us and our parents. <laughs> yeah. Which we was saw a, it with our parents. <laughs> it was pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> I told that to one of my theater classes once and just like half of the room was like, <gasps> I was like, yeah, I saw it with my parents. <gasps> It was very funny. <laughs> it was, it's, we're just committed to theater. Yeah. We're committed theater goers. I'm going to see Spring Awakening. If we Would have I to prefer see it with it our parents? to see without my parents? Yes. But will I see it with my parents if that's necessary? Also, yes. I'll do what it takes. Yeah, we're, we'll do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Our dad liked it, I think. Yeah. I think our mom liked it, but maybe not as much. I don't think she liked it a ton. It was too sad for her. It was pretty sad. But I do think my dad liked it. Our dad. Our dad. We have the same dad. <laughs> and mom. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, we saw it in a black box theater. I think it should always be performed in a black box theater. There. Uh, I love black box theaters. <laughs> Um, it was, explain what a black box theater is quick. It's, it was a small theater and three out of the four sides of the room had seating on it and it just made it feel so much more personal. Mm -hmm. uh, Some black box theaters have seating on all four sides. Yeah. And I think once on this island does. Yeah. Actually. Um, but ours was just three out of four sides and it was kind of like bleacher seating to be honest. Yeah, which but it was very small, very intimate. It was a community uh, college theater. Elgin. Yeah. Illinois is where we saw it, and it was great. Another show I saw in a black box theater was Next to Normal. Which that would I, be cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And I think shows like that that are so personal and um, so deep are always going to seem better in a black box theater. Some of us didn't get to see that show. <laughs> I saw it on a school trip. On a school trip I didn't get to go on. <laughs> but I, it's really interesting. And another thing I'd like to say about the show uh, we saw is I was a big fan of the choreography in that too. They had these um, cubes that they used as chairs. And during, <laughs> and during the bitch of living. <laughs> I love it so much. They would grab them and there's like... Uh, to go with the music, they would slam them on the ground. Those boys were so angry. <laughs> they were slamming the chairs on the ground. I loved it. It was fantastic. Like, I love when they do that. I love when they incorporate the set into what they're doing. And with the traditional chairs in Spring Awakening, it was a good use of them. It was. It, it was, was great. It was great. And it showed real thought. And also in The Dark I Know Well... I really liked the choreography for that, too. Yeah. They were holding hands. Marta and Elsa were back-to-back -back and holding hands, and it was just very powerful. It was very good. It was very good. And also, um, the rest of the cast was um, standing around them, and they were miming um, abuse over. Mm -hmm. like, And it was just... It was really powerful and thought out, I thought. And I loved... When 
they really think out the way they portray them, you know? Definitely. Like, um, Spring Awakening is one of those ones where choreography, when well thought out, makes such a big impact on it, and also a big impact on direction, you know, as we were talking about earlier, there's so many things you can do to change the tone. Mm-hmm. Oh, a couple other moments that I remember. During Word of Your Body Reprise, Ernst and Hanschen were making out really hard, like rolling around on the ground. And I'd like to say it was a community <laughs> college theater, and there were a lot of old people. There was a ton of old people. Like, there was so many old people in that audience. And also, I think we were sitting right in front of people who knew the actors, so that was fun. Yeah, it was weird because since it was a black box theater, like, I could see um, an old couple, like, front row in (laughs) another area, and during Word of Your Body Reprise, it was so funny to look over at them. Because they were, like, really making out pretty Yeah, they went for it. I respect that. (laughs) I respect it a lot. It was a fun environment to see it because of the black box, but also because of the people. It's such... Definitely. uh, a unique audience show, you know? Like, um, and I think a lot of people in there didn't know what they were getting into. Yeah, I think that's probably and true. And it's always fascinating to see that. Because I think there's a lot of people, like, at our local theater, people just buy season tickets, whatever the show is. Yeah, like, the shows are. Also, or, we live in kind of a small town, and it's something to do. Yeah. You know? And Even if they're not like, a big Like, when our person. college puts on shows, I think... People just come to support the college, which is cool. And they don't necessarily know what they're coming to see. Very excited for when we do Heather's semester. (laughs) Let's talk about those boys. Let's talk about those boys. Let's talk about that boy, Mord Stiefel. I love that boy. Me too. He's my favorite boy. He's my favorite character in general. And he's just very special to me. And... Here's what I have to say about Moritz. Only LGBT people should be allowed to play him. Mm-hmm. No straight Moritzes. Get out of here. I would like to make the argument of no cis Moritzes. Except John Gallagher Jr. Except for John Gallagher Jr. <laughs> and Daniel Durant and Alex Bonnie. Yeah, they can. They, I will allow it, but specifically John Gallagher Jr., you are our exception. Assuming that you're he's straight. I don't know that he is. Anyway, I'm going to go move on. But I think there's something about Moritz because I'm online. I'm on the interweb. You're on Tumblr. <laughs> I'm on Tumblr. And there's something about Moritz. A lot of people who like Spring Awakening who are not, like, cis and straight see themselves in him because there's so many people, like, Moritz is ace, Moritz is gay, Moritz is bi, Moritz is trans, Moritz is envy. And I think there's something about him that we all see of ourselves in him, and that's pretty special. So anyone who thinks any of those things, you're valid, but I'm going to tell you what I think about those things. Yeah, it's like, if you see yourself in him, we're not going to tell you you're wrong. Because that's a good thing about the character, is like... Because I'm about to headcanon him as... Ace and non-binary, so we'll see, um, you know, we all think that we're him, or he's us. Anyway, I think Ace has a lot more evidence to support it than non-binary does, but something that has always, I think, drawn me to him was, like, 
I think he is ace. He has a lot of the same fears that I had. Because people try to say that he's not ace. And if you don't think he's ace, I'm not going to attack you. But, like, he never really says he wants sex. He says something along the lines of, like, in relation to his sex dreams, he says he fears that some dark part of his future may lie there between them. Like, that's not a positive way to talk about sex. Like, he's frightened. You know? It's, like, scary. And that's something that I can relate to because I'm ace and, you know, and I just think there's that. And he wants to know about it, but he never really expresses having a crush or being interested in having sex for himself, you know? So I think there's strong evidence that he is ace. And non-binary, it's just kind of wishful thinking for me, to be (laughs) honest. I think it would be cool. I think non-binary people should play him. And I think you can kind of read into um, gender queerness just by um, his disconnection with, um, like, his body. Yeah. Like, um, if you think he's trans or NB, I think he has a very disconnection with sex also due to the disconnection of wanting to talk about or have do yeah. anything with his body. Definitely. And, yeah, like, these are the kind of things that I relate to about him, so it's just nice to have a character like that that I can see. Not that you reading into it is wrong. We're not saying, this is the right answer. No, because someone else could say, I think Moritz is gay, and, like, say their evidence, and I would probably agree, but I still think I'm right. And that's but one thing that's interesting thing about is, him. None of us are right or wrong, but we're all valid, <laughs> and that's what matters. Yeah. Whatever you think about Moritz, you're right. Unless you think he's cishet. And then I think you're wrong, objectively. (laughs) But other than that, you know. Yeah. In the TV show Rise, there was the character who played Moritz was trans, and the actor who played the character who played Moritz was non-binary, which was pretty cool. And that's what kind of set me on this first, I think, thought about Moritz possibly being trans or non-binary, and I think it's very cool. Yeah, that's one of the things that the show Rise, I, I really think, respect re- really got right. About Rise. Um, I'm a big fan of that, and um, there were a lot of things that Rise did that I fo- followed the script to a T in a way that I wasn't really a fan of, because I think one thing about Spring Awakening is bringing new elements into it, mm-hmm. but um, I was a big fan of the way that they handled Moritz's character. <sighs> Me too. The last thing I want to talk about about Moritz is ships that involve Moritz. Because there are some that I think are not valid. But should I start with the one I think is valid or the one I think is not valid? Start with the ones you think aren't valid. Okay, the ones that I personally think are not valid. If you like these ships, this is not an attack on you, but I do disagree with you. But I respect you anyway. I don't think... Moritz and Melchior is canon. I feel like this is the least popular ship involving Moritz, which I think is valid. I think their friendship is really important. I think their friendship is very important. And also, I can't in good conscience ship Melchior with anyone in the canon. But I think especially in Especially not someone you love so much. Especially not someone I love so much. But I think, like, people do modern adaptations. 
I might not be opposed to it in a different scenario or like I don't know. Where it's hard Melchior to so where Melchior isn't so bad, but in the canon of the show, I can't in good conscience um, in good conscience ship Melchior with anyone. So I don't conscience? like it. Conscience. 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 <laughs> in good conscience. <laughs> anyway, so I don't like that one. Another one that I'm kind of lukewarm on, but I definitely don't like it, is Moritz and Ilsa. Moritz and Ilsa were friends. And I definitely think Moritz wants what Ilsa has because she seems like she's very, like, free and very happy, but she's really not. And I don't think they would be good for each other because she doesn't seem like she understands really or cares about what Moritz is going through. I think it's similar to how I was talking about the staging in Don't Do Sadness, Blue Wind. Um, She doesn't look at him. She doesn't really see. Right. Exactly. And I think she just minimizes the things he's going through, and she's... I just don't like it. And I don't care for it, but it's not the worst one. The ship that I am completely in love with, that I really care about a lot, is Moritz and Marta. I... It's so sweet, because, like... When all the girls are talking about their crushes on Melchior, and Marta's the only one who doesn't have a crush on Melchior, she likes Moritz because he's, like, soft and he's sweet. And I just, I really love that because she is one of the characters who has gone through abuse. And I think it's possible that she sees something bad in Melchior and, like, just the way that she likes Moritz is very sweet. I agree with that. And, I, yeah. I think it's very telling that um, she's the one who's um, been through abuse and she is not a fan of Melchior. Everyone else is like, oh, Melchior, He's what such a, a radical. radical. And she's like, oh, no. Look at Moritz. He's so sad, soulful, sleepy head. <laughs> yeah. It's very sweet. And the other girls kind of make fun of her for it, but she's just like, I don't know, we've always got along. Read well. how one of them makes fun of her in the oh play. Oh my god. Okay, so in the play, this is the play from the 1890s, not the 2006 musical, but um, the girls are talking about their crushes, and Marta says, um, she's like, I don't know, Melchior's handsome, but I really like Moritz, and they're making fun of him, and... Marta's like, I've always got along well with him. And Taya, one of her friends, says, At the children's ball the Relos gave, he offered me some chocolates. Venla, imagine they were all soft and warm. Isn't that? He said that he'd had them in his pocket for too long. Just imagine you're at a party and someone comes up to you and offers you melted chocolates from your pocket. That's the boy Marta has a crush on. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it too. I think it's really sweet. They're so cute. They really are. I think that's the most valid. And I think they would be good for each other because they've both gone through a lot. Mm -hmm. They've both gone through abuse and I think they love each other because they're sweet. Yeah. Moritz never really expresses having a crush on Marta back, but I like to think, you know, I think it would be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. You want to talk about Hunchin and Aaron? Oh, wait, no. Melchior. 
We have to talk about Melchior. I guess we have to, since he's, like, the lead or whatever. All right, say our hot take. Okay. This may be controversial for the Spring Awakening fandom, but Melchior Gabor is not the villain. Now... We both hate Melchior. We're I don't not saying like this from a we like Melchior standpoint. But I will say, he's a 14-year-old boy. It's and very small brain to think he's the villain of the show. I, yeah. I don't think any of the kids should be the villains of the show, and I don't think any of them are. Melchior, objectively, Melchior's kind of, like, annoying, but he does one bad thing in the show. And that bad thing was really, really bad, but he's a 14-year-old boy, and to think that no one could ever change or come back from that is pretty... I don't I don't think that's true. Also, um, Melchior is a direct effect of the society. True. It's um, the society as a whole's fault for letting... Uh, for uh, keeping him from learning about how to approach these things respectfully and the right way. And for keeping boys and girls separate so that they don't know how to interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Now, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, any boy knows what the word no means, or what the word don't means, or what the word wait means. Like, he's 14 14 years old. He knows what that means. But, so, the thing he did is bad, but the fact remains, he's a results of the society he lives in and also um i don't think he knew the extent of it yeah i would agree i don't think he knew the complications of sex i he think knew he knew what sex was mechanically he knows how it works and what it is and but i don't think he but no one taught him like the emotional the morals of it um everything he let, read was factual about books about anatomy about how it works but it's not, it's not so simple. So not to say that the thing he did was okay, or that we like him, but he's not the villain. Society as a whole and the adults in the story are the villain. Yeah. Um, I vote society, but um, also the parents, I vote the adults. I vote We're going to talk about him later. The parents, um, but we'll talk about the parents in a little bit. Let's talk about Hans and Ernst. Hans and Ernst. I love those funky boys. They're very good. I love how they're gay. Um, in the play, there's this one part where they're all together, and then Hans is just like, Ernst, I'll walk you home. And I'm just like, wow, look at those funky boys. <laughs> That's in the musical. Oh, it is? Yeah, in the musical. But, like... Ernst is like, oh, well, I'm headed home. And Hanchen's like, I'll walk you. And Hanchen is, in the play, a year younger than the rest of the kids, I think. Yeah. So he's just a little boy, and he's like, Ernst, I'll walk you home. Like, I love it. He's just got a little dorky crush on Ernst. I love it. But, so much. Um, one thing on the list, like, little cutesy note, um, the parallels between, um... Hanshin and Ernst and Melchior and Venla are very interesting. Yeah. Um, the most obvious is word of your body and word of your body reprise. I mean, obviously there's parallels because they use the same um, 
basic outline of a love song, you know? Right. Word of Your Body is very interesting in the first place because the lyrics aren't very fun. No. <laughs> They're not fun or good. Um, it's a very... Well, not that they aren't good <laughs> lyrics, but that, you know, like, um, not very, I'm gonna like, be your bruise. wholesome love songs. Yeah. It's not, like, sweet, um, which is really interesting to me, um, because, I don't know, like, they're love songs, but, like, also, I wouldn't put them in the same category as any other love song from musical theater. Mm-hmm. Um... And I would even argue that maybe they aren't love songs. I think Word of Your Body Reprise is. But I'm not sure that Word of Your Body I is. think Word of Your Body Reprise, when you see it with the scene, mm-hmm. I think it twists it to make it It's a love more song. tender. It's more sweet. Like, it's more like we're in this together even if bad things happen, I think. Yeah. Because they love each other. Whereas Word of Your Body, the it's original like, is there's like... there's bad things that are going to happen between us. Yeah. Definitely. Which, it's an interesting take, because, like, I know not all love is like, oh, it's so sweet and stuff, but it's interesting because Word of Your Body seems more like foreshadowing yeah. than a love song. Definitely. Um, but just the parallels is really interesting. And even, is it right after... Is it after Left Behind or after Totally Fucked that Word of Your Body reprises? I don't know, but I know it's after something with it's Moritz. Something with Moritz? I think it's either his funeral or... In... I think it's after Left Behind, then. It's after Totally Fucked. Oh, well, that's what I was saying. Um, so, yeah, I was going to say, either way, it's after, like, a more tense moment. And then, because Melchior's getting expelled... And mm-hmm. it's bad, and it's loud, and it's angry. And then they just cut to Hunch and, and Ernst hanging out in a vineyard, like, kissing. Yeah. I'm like, I love these guys. It's very interesting, and I think it's very neat that it was included in um, such an old play. Yeah. Um, because it seems like homosexuality was very taboo, like, the farther back you look in history, you mm-hmm. know? But um, it's in there, like it's canon, it's in the play, which um, is very neat to look at. A lot of these uh, subjects were very taboo in the writing of this. Definitely. It took 15 years for it to get performed. Yeah, which is really interesting, because um, obviously it was adapted in 2006, but like also it wasn't as adapted as you would think, you know? Um, it's very, very similar. Yeah. Besides the added ambiguity. Yeah. Anyway. That's a little bit off topic, but... Anyway. Alright, let's talk about those girls. Let's talk about those girls. Let's talk about that girl, Venla. Oh, Venla. Oh, Venla. (laughs) (laughs) Um, one thing I'd like to touch on is her dress. Her, um, dress that she talks about in Mama Who Bore Me. That's getting too small for her. Mm-hmm. In the play, the dress is a larger discussion because, like the musical, it starts off with a discussion about her dress and how it's getting too small for her, and she's trying on a new dress that her mom had made her, and she's complaining that it's too big and it's going to look like she's wearing a sack and she'll look too grown up and she doesn't want to wear it. 
But later in Act 2, after, um, sorry, after Melchior has raped her, she is talking to herself in the garden the next day, and she's talking about how she'll go home and she'll wear that dress. And I don't know the exact implications of it, but I think it probably has to do with, um, I don't know, feeling like she's grown up now and being willing to wear her adult dress, or that it's longer, it's bigger, it covers her up. I think it could do with one of those. And um, I think the dress thing is so interesting, because um, now, currently, there's a lot of talk over sexual abuse and rape on, well, she was wearing that um, in regards to the villainization of the victims in these situations. And um, I think it's very interesting that the dress, um, which her mother tells her not to wear because um, she's growing and it's too small and it shows too much of her or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. is very similar to the situations we see now in regarding um, what women wear. Yeah. And... Um, sexual abuse that happens while they're wearing that, you know? Yeah. Um, which is very interesting because it's a very old play, but to see um, how that resurfaces now. Yeah. It's just um, one topic that I think is Yeah, very because this was the play from the 1800s, not this modern musical, where that's the dress is discussed more. The dress is not discussed like that in the musical. Yeah. So it is interesting how... A hundred years later, it's the same. Also, I think Venla's really interesting because um, she just wants to learn. She wants to figure things out. Yeah. But um, I don't think she really knows how to go about it. Like, as we see when she learns Marta's um, being abused. Yeah. At home. Um, I think she knows she's, like, missing some information you know but she she never really figures it out you know yeah like her innocence um to all of these topics um resurfaces a lot like she doesn't know about abuse then once she finds out she's like oh my god and she doesn't know about sex until after it happens to her you know yes because she says like that's what that was you know like she doesn't know Yeah, when she's talking to her mom about it in the play, she's trying to, because her mom is like, you're pregnant, and she's like, how did that happen? And we were just laying in the hay together, you know, and stuff like that. And one line that is in both shows verbatim is she says to her mom, why didn't you tell me everything, which Mm -hmm. is very sad. Because she didn't know that's what sex was. Yeah. She didn't know what sex was. She didn't even know about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So her lack of knowledge, which ultimately uh, she pays for, is really sad. Yeah. One thing that you were talking about earlier was how her stance changes on children. This isn't as apparent in either show individually, but in the play... When the girls are talking about how they're going to raise their kids and how they're going to parent them, 
she's like, how do you all even know that you want them yet? And stuff like that. In the musical, by the end, she's singing about how she wants to take care of this child and raise it better than she was raised and stuff, which both ways are valid mentalities. It kind of bothers me, though, because in the play, we never hear about what she thinks about the child after she finds out she's pregnant. It kind of bothers me that um, the people who wrote the musical made that decision for her, that she would be happy with it and okay with it, because we never really see that in the play. They definitely, um, I feel like, and I'm not one to say how I think Venlo would, um, would react or anything, but I'm gonna say it, because, um, I think that the ending that, like, she forgives him, she decides she loves him, she decides she loves the child, is very quick and not well thought out. And, um, I think it kind of mutes her of having real emotions. Like, I get it. Like having agency. Yeah. I get it, like, maybe she did come to that conclusion, that she loved the child, but, like, she has no anger ever at Melchior, which I think is kind of robbed. Something that makes me sad is because they made this decision for her in the musical. In the play, she doesn't even have time to decide what she thinks. Because she finds out from her mom that she's pregnant, and then she, before she even knows what's going on, her mom has called the abortionist, and she's there. She's like, I think someone's at the door, and her mom isn't even telling her what she's doing. And then that's how Venla dies, because of the abortion gone badly. She didn't even get time to decide how she felt on it before she died, and then the people who wrote the musical just decided that she was okay with it. Yeah, it's... And she was happy, and she loved him, and she loved the baby, which is pretty terrible, in my opinion. Yeah, it's... With the ambiguity of the rape in it, Stephen Sater really took that opportunity to um, not push anything on Melchior. Yeah. Uh, And I'm not saying to villainize him, but I do think that they could show at least some negative emotions from Venla to Melchior if they're going to give Venla emotions about the pregnancy. I marked a page in the play. Hang on. Melchior has a line that literally says, this is in the play, not the musical. No matter what I do now, it's still rape. So, and then they just took it and made it ambiguous and decided that she was just all right with it and she was excited to keep this baby. I think that's pretty terrible thing to do to her character they robbed her of depth yeah um they gave the illusion of depth because she has a whole song about how she feels about it but it it doesn't feel real no it feels fake it feels um very clearly like it's written from um like you can feel steven Sater's standpoint you know yeah. Like, you you don't feel like you're seeing it through Venla's eyes. You feel like it. You're, you're seeing it through his eyes. Yeah. Which I'm not a fan of. Me neither. All right. You want to talk about Ilsa? I do want to talk about Ilsa. Ilsa is a symbol of hope. Mm-hmm. Ilsa kind of represents hope for the other characters. And especially for, I think, Moritz and Marta and... Maybe Venla? But she's a person who got away from her abusive parents and 
from the other children's perspective, she definitely seems like she's very happy and very grown up, and I think they want that. I think especially Moritz and Marta want to get away from their parents and be happy like Ilsa is, and she also is the one who delivers Melchior's and Venla's letters while Melchior is in the reformatory, I think, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of a symbol of hope for him as well, and that's why some people say that they think Ilsa's dead or that she's a ghost or something, but I don't like that because if this symbol of hope for all of the characters in the show is actually dead, it's kind of, it kind of gives the implication that there is no hope for the other children to get away, because if they think she got away but she's really just dead, that's terrible. Yeah, like, she's, she's a survivor. Right. Um, and I'm talking specifically about Marta, like, she's a survivor of abuse. Yeah. And saying that, um, And saying that she is a ghost is like saying that there is no survival. And, um, it's a bad implication. Yeah. I don't like it. It's a cold take. (laughs) Elsa's alive, and... It's a freezing take. (laughs) If the symbol of hope is... And the survivorship of her is not enough to convince you that, I mentioned earlier she delivers Melchior's letter, so... And also... She interacts with other living characters. With... Purple Summer, obviously, with her being hope, Purple Summer is that there is hope. Yeah. She sings Purple Summer. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's saying, like, there's hope. You know? And, um, the implication that she's dead doesn't fit well. No. It's bad. I don't like it. All right. Marta? Marta. I love her. I love her, too. Well, Marta, in the... In the musical, Taya has a line that's basically like, when I grow up and I have kids, I'm going to let them run free and stuff like that. And that line was originally Marta's in the Mm -hmm. play. And I wish they hadn't taken that away from her because I think it's powerful that the way she's been raised, she wants to be a good parent. And I think it was a good line for her Mm -hmm. to have. And her crush on Moritz. We already talked about that. Her crush on Moritz, it's very sweet. But yeah, it's, I already said this earlier, but I think it's very interesting how she's the only one who doesn't have a crush on Melchior. Yes, I think that's really good. I want to talk about Fanny Gabor and Frau Bergman together. Fanny Gabor is Melchior's mother, Frau Bergman is Venla's mother. And they are two opposite sides of the spectrum, I think. Fanny Gabor lets her son read whatever he wants and lets him be educated on things that were considered taboo at the time, which is good, but she doesn't follow through. She doesn't supervise him or talk to him about the meaning of those things, which is part of what led to what he did. So that's how Melchior ended up the way that he is, while on the other side, Frau Bergman refuses to tell her daughter anything and won't teach her about sex, and she's just thinking nothing bad will happen if she doesn't know, you know, what that stuff means, and it's unfortunate. But aside from that, she seems to be a good mother. She seems to care about her daughter, but she refuses to teach her, which is unfortunate. And I think it's telling that those two parenting styles produced these two children which came together 
And that's what inevitably killed Venla, is those two teaching styles, parenting styles. And Fanny Gabor has a line that she says to Moritz and Melchior that's basically like, well, I guess you boys are old enough to know what's best for you, because she just lets them learn and read whatever they want, which is good, but then she doesn't follow through, which is sad. Yeah, Melchior learns things all on his own accords. Yeah. Um, he has no room for opinions. Um, everything he reads is factual, so the only opinion he knows about them is his own, whether or not it's correct or moral. Yeah. And the last parent that I wanted to talk about was Herr Stiefel. I hate him, and I wish he would die. He hits his son. I'll throw down. Yeah. Don't hit your kids. I'll kill you. I will track you down. As we were talking about, society is the villain in this show. And it's really interesting because a show about society you would think would um, change over time, you know? Like, a society's change. We're growing, you would think. But uh, I always find the shows about society are the ones where you can see... Um, relevancy years after the most. Yeah, because when we talked about Bear, we talked about this, how a show from the early 2000s, late 90s is still true, very accurate today. This is from 100 years ago. Yeah, this is just a larger scale. It's um, crazy. Over 100 years ago. And it's still, so much of it rings true. It's insane. Yeah. Um, Because of its relevancy. And I talk about this in most shows that deal with society. I wrote an essay about angels in America one time and how it's in the AIDS crisis, and I wrote about its relevancy to 2019, which is crazy, you know, because you would think um, these shows about bad things happening in society, uh, they would bring kind of a call to action, and eventually, over like a hundred years, you would think um, we would have changed. Right. But... In the show, the problem is that no one wants to talk about it, and that's still true. People get angry if you try to talk I mean, about it or try to cause change. Look at um, abortion is a topic in the show that isn't talked about, and um, there's lots of controversy uh, controversy over it in the show, and that's happening currently. Yeah. It's a big deal right now. and um, Because... Venla was killed because abortion was illegal. She couldn't get a legal abortion, and she died from an illegal one. Yeah. We are still dealing with the topic of legalizing abortion now. And um, there are illegal abortions going on all over the place right now. And, there, well, there were, and doctors were going to be um, given life sentences. Right. For, um performing an abortion and um yeah so it's crazy to see how it's still so true yeah also um one thing that shows this and how it's relevant is in purple summer um a lot of productions have um at the end um instead of going into their period clothes they change into their everyday clothes Mm -hmm. i think that's really cool because the show is aware of itself that this is still true today. In Deaf West, they did not put on modern day clothes, but they did take off their period clothes, so they were just wearing 
white dresses and like white shirts and white shorts. So it was kind of mm-hmm. timeless, I guess. Yeah. Um, parenting is also a heavy topic in the show because there's so many different parenting techniques. Yeah. And um, all of them turn out wrong. Yeah. Um, because they don't talk. Because they don't talk. To their kids. And it's it's interesting because um, I do think that there's the underlying hope that through the bad parenting, um, the new generation would be better parents. Yeah. Um, with Marta, as we talked about, talking about how she would let her children grow and be strong. Yeah, and be free. And um, with Venla talking about her child in the musical. Yeah. And Venla in the play is not sure if she wants them, mm-hmm. which is, there's just so many different perspectives on it in the play by children who, you know, their parents don't care for them the way they should. It's interesting to see their contrasts to their parents because we get to see how their parents parent them and we get to hear how they would parent and that's very interesting to me. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a heavy note to end on, so I'm sorry, this one, this whole episode kind of deals with heavy topics, but it's my birthday, so you can't complain about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll link to some stuff that we talked about and some stuff to maybe cheer you up after listening to this sad episode. Oh, like a funny joke Jonathan Groff made about an incident on stage. Yes, I will link to that one. And... Thank you so much for listening. I hope you you liked it. I hope you'll listen again. Yep. Our next episode is going up on January 6th in 2020. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's going to be next year. Or maybe at the time you're listening to it, it's 10 years ago. Who knows? Um, How's the future? The next episode is going to be, I thought you were going to say what it was, and I was like, oh, No, I don't know what it's going to be. (laughs) But it's going to be in 2020. 2020. You know what they say about hindsight. It's 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I hope you'll listen. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Love you. You didn't say it. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Love Love you. you.